0: Let's pray. God, wherever we're coming from, whatever we're feeling, whatever worries us, whatever sins we've committed, whatever sins have been committed against us, God, meet us here in this place, in this hour, in this moment. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for coming on this this Friday, the first day of March. It's been a joy to be with you these last couple days. Uh, My wife, Lauren, and I, having moved recently to Birmingham, we're grateful that uh, though we were strangers before with the Advent, we now feel very welcomed and and grateful for your presence in this community. In in the moments that we have this afternoon, I want to look together at uh, the letter from the Apostle Paul to his protege, Timothy, 1 Timothy, we're going to look at chapter 1, Timothy was a pastor in the church of Ephesus, and we're going to look at verses 12 to 16. I'll go ahead and read them for us. The Apostle Paul writes, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. When in doubt, you and I, we find someone to blame. We look for someone else to blame. We pass the buck. A county going bankrupt. I don't know, that may be relevant somewhere around here. Point the finger. Nation can't pass the budget. If you watch the news this morning, you see what happens there point the finger don't blame me i voted for the other guy that's the attitude we were all born you and me born blamers from the womb and no matter how old you get you can still always go back to that trusty source of all that's wrong in your life your parents You can always go back and blame the parents you're never too old to do that And isn't that why we have siblings, why we have brothers and sisters? She did it. It's his fault. Don't blame me. Point the finger. But how different is this response? This is a response that is credited. I'll share it with you. Credit to a man named G.K. Chesterton, the great 20th century British writer. Legend has it that the Times of London newspaper once sent out an inquiry to famous authors Asking the question, same question that we continue to ask today, what's wrong with the world? Chesterton responded very simply, Dear sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. If I understand his letter to Timothy correctly, the Apostle Paul might have answered similarly. Think about this, the foremost apostle of biblical times was the self-described foremost sinner the wording in fact if you look there first timothy chapter 1 verse 15 is emphatic who is the foremost sinner again emphatic there in that original language i am paul could not make it more clear but this is how we want to respond we hear this from paul and we know all of his incredible deeds All of his missionary journeys that we read about in Acts. His courageous defense of the gospel. We want to tell him, maybe with not the purest motives on our own part. Cheer up, Paul. You're not so bad. We all make mistakes. But Paul, he doesn't let us off the hook. He doesn't answer us this way. He insists and he responds to us saying, no, you don't understand. No one hated the church more than I did. And I proved it. I went door to door and I dragged out followers of Jesus and I approved their execution. I stole wives from their husbands, husbands, fathers from their children. I took them physically out of their homes and I had them killed. I thought that I was serving God by killing these people. We hear that from the Apostle Paul and we say, well... I've never done anything like that before. maybe you are right, Paul. Maybe you are the chief of sinners. But, but Paul doesn't let us off the hook either. He doesn't let us off the hook because Jesus, the Jesus who met Paul, who changed his life, Jesus didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. So if we want that grace that Paul tells us about in this passage, if we want the grace that overflows with faith and love, then we better get in line behind Paul, behind G.K. Chesterton, and ask ourselves, what's wrong with the world? Blame me. We blame others. This is what's happening. We're playing God. We're playing God. And this is what's so sobering about Paul's example for us, why it's such a challenge for us. See, Paul thought that he was loving God by hating Jesus. Think about that. Loving God by hating Jesus. He spent how how could he be so wrong? How could he have been so self-deluded? He spent his whole life studying God. But when God stood before him face to face, In the flesh, he didn't recognize him. Face to face, and he did not recognize the God of the universe. Be careful then. I think Paul's warning us. Be careful about trusting your own conscience, about trusting yourself. Because as God's word tells us, the heart can be desperately deceptive. So Paul, for a long time, Paul did not think that he was sick. Paul did not think there was anything wrong with him. He thought, in fact, that he was cleansing Israel. He was cleaning up Israel by attacking the church, making it healthy, purifying it from those who had infiltrated and created this unhealth. we look again at this example when we ask ourselves, how can we be so sure that we're not doing the same thing to one another to each other in the church or to our neighbors outside the church. How do we know that we're not similarly deceived? How do we know that we're not coming to church for the wrong motives? How do we know that we're staying away from church for the right motives to stay away from those judgmental people? Here I think is a good gut check. It's something that I try to ask myself and fail many times. Ask yourself this question. If your sin is somehow less deserving of judgment than the other guys, then you've got a problem. If your sin is somehow less deserving of judgment than the other guys, then you've got a problem. You might not be so healthy as you think. You're playing God. But the thing about playing God and judging others is that they'll play God with you. They'll judge you. This isn't a one-way street. This is a two-way game. They'll judge you. Anything you can do to someone else, they can do to you. And in fact, a lot of us who spent a lot of time in the church lament how the world has turned against us. And indeed, this is in fact what we see. We live in a supposedly tolerant age, but a tolerant age that it doesn't seem so tolerant toward people who believe the Bible, and sometimes people outside the church see the sins of the church, whether they are real, whether those that we need to own up to or perceived as an excuse to want to wipe us out, to want to marginalize us, to want to judge us unworthy of love and grace and respect and tolerance in this society. The thing about plain God is that tolerance. Tolerance only sounds like a good idea when you're in the minority. It sounds like a good idea when you're trying to get something from someone else. Because the heart is never so deceptively cruel as when it's convinced of its own purity. Isn't that interesting? When we think about that, who really is sick? Who really is healthy? The heart can be deceptively cruel when it's convinced of its own Purity. But Paul, Paul's a hero of the faith. One who was, though deceived for a long time, something changed. Somehow, this sin-sick man became well. He became healthy. What happened for Paul was simple. The same thing that happened for Paul is the only hope for you and me. Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus that we read about in the book of Acts. And when he saw God in the flesh, this time God gave him the eyes to see. And God gave him a pure heart. God took away his heart of stone and gave him a heart of flesh. There's a curious phrase here in 1 Timothy 1, verse 12. Paul tells us that Christ Jesus, our Lord, judged me faithful. That's what Paul says. This doesn't make any sense. I don't know if you've ever tripped over this verse before, but you stop and you think about it, this doesn't make sense. How could Christ Jesus have judged Paul faithful? We've already seen a glimpse of what Paul was like going into this meeting with Jesus on the road to Damascus. In fact, he was on the road to Damascus to go and to persecute the church and to supervise the killing of Christians. And when Paul meets Jesus, you will look in vain in that passage. Paul did not apologize when he met Jesus. He did not beg for his life. He did not ask for mercy. He did not promise, I'll never do it again, Jesus. He said none of this. He stood silent. But it was in fact his silence before the risen Jesus that pled his ignorance that pled his sickness, that pled his need for a Savior, that pled his, it was his admission of guilt. You see there in verse 13. And it was in his admission of guilt and in his recognition of Jesus as the risen Lord that the grace of God, Paul says in verse 14, completely overflowed for him in faith and love. That is what made this sin-sick man well. That is what turned him from unhealth to health. That is a curious judging. What kind of judging is this? This is not the kind of judging that you and I expect. Not the kind of judging that you and I are prone to deliver to one another. Like I said, until this point, Paul had not been faithful. He had not been judged faithful in anything but violent zeal against the church. But God judged him faithful to serve as an example for anyone who wants eternal life for you and me today. Paul still stands as that judgment, as that example for us. When you look at verse 16, you see that Jesus Christ, on that road road to Damascus, chose Paul to be an example of his unlimited, incredible, inexhaustible, Patience. Think about those, when you think about that patience, think about those that you want to blame for all the problems in this world. Maybe you have some specific people in mind. And ask yourself then this question. Can God make an example out of them too? Can God make an example out of them of his unlimited patience and if God has been patient to you, despite whatever you've done, can you be patient with them? Can you be loving and patient with them who you're tempted to blame? What would happen in your life? What would happen in my life? What would happen in our county, in our nation, when we stopped judging others and started judging ourselves, chief of sinners, in need? Of God's grace. What's so incredible about this passage, beyond all this, this, this remarkable patience of God, making an example out of Paul, judging him faithful, is that Paul says all of this to Timothy in a very specific and harrowing context. The context here is the warning, warning for Timothy to avoid and to refute the false teachers creeping into the church in Ephesus. And Paul's not afraid to name names, either. If you want to believe me, check out the infamous Hymenaeus and Alexander of verse 20 in chapter 1. Twisting the gospel, which is what Paul is alleging, what Paul is actually declaring that these men have done in the church of Ephesus, is blasphemy, nothing short of blasphemy against God and cruelty towards your neighbor. It sends people to hell according to paul twisting the gospel sends people to hell nothing could have been more important to paul than getting this message right and then getting this message out that context is so interesting paul's declaring himself the chief of sinners pointing himself as an example who can only be explained by looking at the grace and the love and the unlimited patience of jesus christ while at the same time Declaring his apostolic authority against these false teachers. What was the difference? What was the difference between Paul and between these false teachers? These false teachers didn't understand grace. They were trying to bring the law back. To believe that somehow by imposing the law on this church in Ephesus, they could please God. Paul had been there. He'd done that. He'd tried that never again. Paul never got over grace. In fact, if that verse verse 14, that word translated in the ESV and many other versions, translated as overflowed, Paul made it up. Paul could not even find a word adequate to talk about what this grace meant to him and what it meant when it came upon him. Because as, he, as God's grace overflowed to him, he overflowed with gratefulness as he wrote this letter. To his young friend Timothy. He met Jesus. He knew Jesus. And he understood what Jesus meant when he said that the first would be last. And as we looked out yesterday, that the meek will inherit the earth. This is what it looks like when Jesus turns your world, my world, our world, upside down. Only when you judge yourself a sinner will God judge you faithful. Only when you become an example of disobedience, will God make you an example of others seeking eternal life. Only when you understand God's mercy toward you, can you then extend mercy to others. Only in your ignorance can God make you wise to salvation. So I'll close again and ask, what's wrong with this world? I am. You are. We all are. And how does God change the world? He sends Jesus. He sends Jesus to meet us in our ignorance. And he entrusts us with good news. That great sin cannot defeat this great a Savior. So I'll close with this blessing, First Timothy 1, 17. To the King of Ages, immortal and visible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.